You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 153, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Mark LaCour. What's up, man? <laughs> I don't know about the the myth, the legend. Kind of sounds like it's kind of sounds like I've passed away already. I can tell you what's up. You want to hear something crazy, Jake? Let's hear it. You know what those crazy people at Weatherford are doing in a couple of weeks? Something with the uh, SPE ATCE, right? Yeah, they they've invited us. They invited a whole bunch of us. So it's gonna be you, me, Paige, Colin, Patrick. We're gonna be doing live podcasts from their booth for two days, Monday and Tuesday, uh, in Dallas at the uh, Society of Petroleum Engineers Annual Technical Conference and Expo. And if you want to come listen to us and you want to come hang out and enjoy the conference, and this conference is was one of three on my must attend list. Weatherford has been kind enough to give us some free passes. So if you're listening to this, go to the website, allandgasthisweek.com. Go to the show notes for this page and grab yourself a free ticket. And Jake, I believe we can, you can now do that from the app, at least in, in the, the Apple world. So I think if you're listening to this on a, an iPhone, you can scroll through the notes in the podcast app and actually see the same link and go ahead and grab you a free ticket. But big shout out to them for doing that. I think it's awesome. We're, we're shaking things up over there. We, we're going to have some real valuable, useful conversations and that none of this is, is, has anything to do with the commercialization or what the fine folks at Weatherford are doing. This is all about stuff that's going on in the oil field. So it should be fun. If you come, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to come meet you in person. And then speaking of meet you in person, if you'd like to support the show, I know that was a horrible segue. It's really easy. It's a, give us a review. It takes a minute and a half. It's the best way to support the show. It helps your peers find it. We got a couple of good ones. Wow. Great information. I'm hooked from uh, ooh, C. Trevor 23 from the U.S. I just found these guys the other day. This latest episode was so great. I started listening to back episodes. Each episode has multiple takeaways that I found extremely useful. As they start up in the oil and gas industry, I am blown away about how informative and relative the content is to my situation, as well as industry veterans from upstream to downstream. Awesome, man. Thank you, uh, C. Trevor 23. And then best oil and gas podcast I have found. From Cajun Asian. <laughs> I gotta love that one. Cajun Agent 86 from the US. Jake and Mark cover a wide range of topics from emerging technologies to industry trends to HSE and quick 30 minute shows each week. They are clearly passionate about presenting this information, which makes the show not only informative, but entertaining. So thank you, Cajun Agent. If you would like to be like Cajun Agent and get a shout out on the show, leave us a review. We'll be happy to, uh, to read your review on the show. And now it's time to get into the news story. So what's going on, Jake? So this first article uh, is talking about millennials that are making millions in Texas oil. I saw this article a few times on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook over the past week, and I think I had it sent to me at least half a dozen times. So I felt it was a, you know, it's, it's an exciting article and it just shows some younger guys out there winning, especially in our industry. So kind of give you some bullet point takeaways. It tells a story of, I think it's like four different four different groups of people. The first one is Double Eagle Energy, three holdings, John Sellers and Cody Campbell, both in their early 30s. Actually, all of everybody I'm going to talk about is either like early 30s to like late 20s. So these guys at 36 years old, they've personally made about $500 million combined. Over the past decade, they've bought and sold tens of thousands of dollars of oil leases, tens of thousands of oil leases, not dollars, in the Permian Basin, making deals in all sorts of places, diners, hoods of trucks, bars. In 2013, private equity came knocking and Apollo Global Management, which is one of the biggest PE firms out there, backed Sellers and Campbell in an Oklahoma deal, which they more than quadrupled the original investment in a year. Jeez. Uh, their biggest payout to date came last year when they sold about 70,000 acres to Parsley Energy for $2.8 billion. 
Uh, and since then, they've raised more money from Apollo, assembled an even larger position of 80,000 acres, and started a drilling company. So based on recent sales and prices, their current holdings could be worth as much as $6 billion. And all at 36 Not years bad. old. Not, <laughs> Not bad, bad at all. So... I thought that was that was a great story. Another one is uh, these guys over at Colgate Energy, Will Hickey and James Walter. They raised $75 million from private equity firms Pearl Energy Investment and NGP. They uh, bought small leases in these uh, less developed parts of the Permian and bet they could buy others nearby or swap with larger companies. So three years later, they've won $450 million of investment from private equity backers, owned the rights to 30,000 acres of land, and moved into drilling, uh, and they operate two rigs. Of their 30 employees... All but one are under the age of 35 years old. That's awesome. And a quote from one of the guys says, our office feels more like Google than ExxonMobil. It's so fast, fast-paced out here. The land deals, the data, the technology, it becomes more and more a young man's game. Yeah, it's and it's so true. And I, and, and I love the fact that we have so many young people coming in our industry. And, and there's been an influx. And, you know, if you listen to the show for any length of time, you know, it's happened. But I just think this is awesome. They're doing they're doing it successfully. These are the type of people that are shaking stuff up. Jake, you and Colin are in this group. Y'all are operators. Y'all are both under 35. Y'all are in this group as well. Yeah, I think we've got some things in the works that are going to make some uh, some maybe make some headlines here in the next uh, six months or so. So we'll be honored to uh, have an article written about us one of these days. <laughs> Yeah. Then, this, then we're going to get in this ethical situation. Like when you and Colin make the news, do we report you and Colin on our show? I guess we do because you made the news. I guess so. I don't know. I mean, I picked the articles, so maybe. <laughs> so yeah, so there's two There's two more examples. I won't go into in depth here, but it's uh, Tyler Glover with the Texas Pacific Land Trust. He's doing some great things. And then Rhett Bennett founded Black Mountain Sand. They've been doing some awesome things as well. So uh, it's a great yeah. article. I'd suggest you guys go and read that more in depth. Hey, Jake, go, go ahead and talk about Rhett and Black Mountain Sand because his story is very unique and it shows that you don't have to be from this industry to okay. actually make money off of it. So he learned about oil leases from friends and started flipping them, which I've heard this multiple times about different types of people. In 2015, he bought a big position in Southeast New Mexico and sold it for sold it 16 months later to Marathon Oil Corp for $700 million, making five times the original investment for himself and his investors. And then he got into supplying sand for frackers after he noticed that most of the sand used from, you know, for fracking, obviously, uh, was being transported from Wisconsin, which we've talked about a bunch of times. So we opened Black Mountain Sand in West Texas, joining scores of other entrepreneurs trying to kind of muscle out the Wisconsin business. So he believes his company could be worth as much as about $2 billion on public markets. So from, from what I've heard, they're planning on, I don't know, I don't think they've already gone IPO, but I think they're planning on going IPO here shortly. And what a great story. And, you know, speaking of the Permian, we just came back from, from Midland, which is the heart of the Permian. I was, Baker Hughes was nice enough to ask me to deliver the keynote. And we made a big announcement at the keynote right there in Midland. And that's the fact that Baker Hughes has come aboard as our partner for the Permian Perspective. So everybody listening, we have a new podcast coming out, the Permian Perspective. Uh, Baker Hughes, a GE company is our partner on that show. We're hustling to get it up. I'm, I've, I've, I put a stake in the ground that we're going to be up and running and on the air by the end of this year. So, so stay tuned. That should be a really fascinating show. And it ties right into this, all these uh, young people out here making money left and right out in, in the Permian. Do we know what the format for that show is going to be? So the format of the show is actually really interesting. We're going to talk about the real life stories of the people in the Permian. So we're going to talk about everything from the manager at McDonald's that has to shut his dining room down because the oilfield guys are coming in and hiring his cashiers and he can't run his McDonald's to the uh, high price of labor to the fact that 
if you got a CDL and you can pass a drug test, you can make a hundred grand a year driving a truck. So we're going to get all those backstories. This, this should be really interesting because there's so many great stories out there that aren't being told. And with Baker Hughes GE behind us, I mean, we got the mic to actually get those stories out there. So, so this one should be really an interesting show. Yeah, it'll be some great content. I think it gives them uh, some transparency into our industry, especially what's going on in the Permian. Yep. Cool. Next article. We've talked about Saudi Aramco's IPO for like the last, I don't know, it seems like last Forever. <laughs> well, guess what? Apparently they've called it off. They've disbanded their advisors. So their their plans to list shares of its you know state-owned oil giant Aramco. They've dismissed all their advisors. There seems to be differing reports coming out of the kingdom. So some reports coming out of the kingdom and some coming directly out of Aramco. I think there's a little bit of a power struggle internally from what I was reading a couple different articles about this. So we don't necessarily know exactly what's going on, but we know the IPO is at least postponed uh, at a minimum. Yeah, this is really interesting because we thought this was going to happen. It made the most sense. It was the only thing that was questionable is were they going to open up their books because they have no choice. They'd have to. And I, I think I agree with you, Jake. I think there's some political power struggles going on at the same time that the price of crude is, is inched up to the point where, where they're doing okay. I still think eventually they will go public. Let's keep an eye on this because this is almost starting to become like a James Bond movie. I mean, there's <laughs> intrigue and there's people being locked up and there's spies and everything else. So, so we'll keep an eye on this one. Cool. And speaking of the Saudis, uh, Saudi income could reach $161 billion, with a B, dollars this year. So they could earn $161 billion this year from crude oil sales versus a budgeted $131 billion. Just to kind of put that in perspective, ExxonMobil finished 2017 at $74 billion profit. Yeah, isn't that crazy to think that they're three times, almost three times the profit margin of ExxonMobil? Now, of That's course, they're, they're, they're a, a nationalized oil company, so they control a lot of stuff that ExxonMobil doesn't control. Yeah, it, And this ties back in, I think, to the IPO that we just mentioned. The fact that when you have you know extra $30 billion in, in profit, not revenue, but profit that you weren't forecasting, maybe going public isn't that appealing to you right now. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Now, the thing that people never talk about is that this profit runs the state-funded employment programs to keep their youth working. So Saudi Arabia has to keep their youth working. They know this. If they don't, then they will get in trouble. They'll radicalize and maybe threaten a minarchy. So even though there's a ton of profit, a lot of that money is going back into the state-funded uh, work programs to make sure that they keep their people working. So it's it's be interesting to see with $30 billion extra that they didn't forecast, you know, that's probably going to end up in the, the coffers of, of, of the prince and his, his family. So once again, you know, tons of money to be made in this industry. And, and obviously Saudi Arabia is raking it in left and right. It's it's so funny with their whole, uh, I don't know if it was Vision 20, I think it's Vision 2040 that the uh, Crown Prince had, where they're, you know, they're obviously trying to diversify away from oil. But I mean, this is an extra $30 billion specifically from crude oil sales, you know, and so maybe those plans are going to change. Maybe they, I mean, obviously, I, I would think that they would still want to diversify, you know, to some extent. But obviously, I think things are going a little bit better than they were expecting. Yeah, and, and they are diversifying. They're realizing that they need to have more of the value chain. So forever, um, all they did is export crude, and now they're building refineries and ethylene crackers. They're building terminals. They're kind of late to that game, but they realize they need more of the revenue. They need more diversification than just being a net crude oil exporter. So keep an eye on this. Lord knows they have enough cash. They can do anything they want to right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, Gulf of Oil oil and gas leases sale generates $178 million in high bids. 
That's crazy. We've talked about this for at least the last like eight months or something. The U.S. Department of the Interior, aka the DOI, has reported that the Gulf of Mexico region wide oil and gas lease to sales generated $178 million in high bids for 144 tracks covering 801 thousand acres in federal waters. So there was a total of 29 companies that submitted over $202.6 million worth of bids uh, in the lease sale. Yeah, that's crazy. And the thing I think is interesting about this is that if you, you pay attention to where these bids are in the Gulf of Mexico, they're, they're not deep water and ultra deep water bids. They're staying on the shelf or right off the shelf, which is a much more economical uh, area to be to produce oil. That deep water and ultra deep water is still in trouble because it's so expensive, but that's going to change. It's going to change in our lifetime. The technology is coming and the uh, standardization is coming from all the major operators and service companies to actually drive costs, like really drive costs down, not just the service companies taking it on the lip. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I suspect, and this will be part of our, our predictions for 2019, I suspect we're going to see this trend continue slowly but surely. So for everybody out there that's working in the you know subsea manufacturing place, the the drill deep water ultra deep water drill rig place, it's coming. The the relief is coming. You just gotta keep do running your business like you are. Keep running a lean business, and and the deeper water Gulf of Mexico business will come back. Now it won't come back in 2019, unfortunately, but by 2025, 2030, we think that's going to start coming back. But awesome for 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 you know all the companies out there that are bidding on stuff. This is just more jobs for our industry. So speaking of uh, deep water, let's kind of segue into some mega oil and gas projects. Are they back or are they not? I'm not sure. So investors are about to find out whether the world's largest oil companies have learned their lesson from obviously the $80 billion of cost blowouts and major projects during the era of 120, 100 100 to $120 crude. So the world's biggest energy companies are gearing up to sanction the first slate of mega projects since the crash in 2014. So firms are expected to approve about $300 billion in spending on such ventures in 2019 and 2020, which is more than all three years from 2015 to 2017 combined. Yeah. And so this is a perfect example of how the oil and gas industry works. These projects, these mega projects are, are huge CapEx investments that take you know, anywhere from, you know, 30 to 60 years from first oil to decommissioning. And so what they're doing is they're starting the projects now, knowing they're not going to go into production next year or two or three or four. And they're trying to time it just right when the price of crude gets to the point that makes these mega projects valuable. Now I say that with crude specifically talking about uh, deeper water projects. But when you also look at these huge projects globally around LNG, that's hot right now. Uh, the market's there right now. The market will continue to grow. LNG or natural gas, I should say, is the fuel of the future. Uh, basically, Shell and Exxon both have turned themselves to natural gas companies recently with acquisitions because they see it coming. So the large LNG projects, it's a race. Who can get these things up as quickly as possible? But it's just good to see money being spent. And, it's, and the money's actually coming back quicker than we thought it was for, for these mega projects. So, you know, once again, jobs, prosperity, you know, revenue for companies, all good stuff. All right, so we can't have an episode talking about without talking about the Permian some more, obviously. So Diamondback has agreed to buy Nurgen for $8.4 billion in an all-stock deal. So we've seen over $30 billion in transactions this year centered around the Permian alone. Uh, Contra Resources paid $9.5 billion for RSP Permian. BP said it would spend about $10.5 billion across three uh, the U.S. shell plays, including the Permian. And so also uh, Diamondback recently, I think it was a week prior to them buying a Nurgen, they also bought Ajax Resources for $1.2 billion in cash and stock. So I think 
these two deals make Diamondback one of the largest producers. Oh, here it is. The third biggest producer in the Permian. Yeah. And so this goes back into stuff that we've been talking about for a while that we think that the end of this year, the beginning of next year, you can see more mergers and acquisitions than you've seen in a long time because it just makes sense. And it was interesting. This article, they meant, they mentioned the constraints of the pipelines. And I literally, like I said earlier, I was just there a few days ago and it's, it's amazing the number of operators that are literally drooling, have all these wells that they're ready to go into production and they know they can't throw the switch yet because the pipeline capacity, the carrying away or the takeaway capacity is not there. And then the pipeline companies, Jake, we, we actually drove to Midland because I hadn't made that drive in 10 years and it was I'm sorry um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know actually it wasn't that bad because it was like I said I haven't done it in 10 years I got some really cool pictures of of you know fields of operating pump jacks and then in the background of the pump jacks are windmills it's just it's beautiful I mean it is this is the energy capital of the planet and it's amazing to see the pipeline projects I mean I've never seen so much huge excavating equipment in one place as when we got close to to Midland because they're all these me- mega pipeline projects projects are going in. So, and it's, and it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's created its own sub economy in that area, the Odessa Midland area where there's just not enough labor. So prices going through the roof, uh, hotel rooms that the same exact hotel room that 10 years ago, I paid $75 for nothing's changed in that hotel room. But I'm now paying $400 for the hotel room. Um, and, <laughs> and that sounds crazy, but if you think about it, it's actually a really good thing. You know, that part of Texas, you know, a long time ago, there wasn't much there. And and now it is, is the growth is, is just staggering. And once again, that comes from the oil and gas industry. And once again, that's prosperity and jobs. I mean, you and I have a, you and I have a bunch of friends that are in the industry that are, have been transferred up there, right? And they've had yeah. to buy houses and, and, and everything. And it's just a different world. And, and, and it's, it's a beautiful world, but yeah, the drive there was, was, was awesome. Now the drive back, Jake, because I knew everything I had just seen wasn't so much fun <laughs> and we caught some bad weather on the way back, but it was, it was, it was really cool going up there and Diamondbacks right smack in the middle of this. Travis uh, Stites, their CEO, he's no newbie, right? He knows what the hell he's doing. This is a very strategic play by them that they've been working on for a long time. So, you know, good for them and let's see where this thing goes. Awesome. Cool. And Guyana. Could is it Guyana and Guyana? I think it's Guyana. Uh, can become the richest corner of the continent. So if you've, you've paid attention to the news lately, ExxonMobil, with their latest Hammerhead One discovery, the company's ninth discovery in offshore Guyana, is believed the country will create the greatest value of any offshore basin since the downturn. So they're referring it to it as the another play opener. Um, where that adds about more than 4 billion barrels of oil equipment and reserves through uh, their exploration program, which has a current success rate of 82%. That's insane. That is insane. So most people may not know this, but a lot of the big operators out there, the super majors and majors, the big independents, they run around a 70% success rate, right? Which means that seven out of 10 wells that they fund that they, that they could do exploration on make money and three of them don't. Now imagine having to go tell your boss, Jake, Hey, you know, that $7 billion you gave me to, for this one well, eh, it didn't work out. That's what our industry has to deal with. And that's why when people say big oil, I get a little upset. You have to be big to even play in this industry. Now, what's so cool about this is you've literally taken a country, small population, indigenous, agrarian society, you know, not modern by anybody's means. They, they hunt and they fish and they farm to feed their people. And now they've hit the jackpot. Now, this is the same thing that happened to Brazil years ago when they made those deep salt layers. And I was so excited. I figured Brazil would be the economic engine of Latin America. And quite honestly, they ruined it from corruption. 
I'm a little bit worried about that same thing happening here. But if the people can get their stuff straight, if they keep their politicians in line, if in their hearts they know corruption is wrong, this is a bonanza for the people there. This is education. This is jobs. This is prosperity for them. And then the other thing is ExxonMobil knows what the heck it's doing. So they've worked on this for a very long time. And if anybody's listened to the show, you know, I think ExxonMobil is the best oil and gas engineering and project management company on the on the planet. And this is just another example of how they went out to a place where everybody said, you're wasting your time and money. They did their geoscience to the degree that ExxonMobil does it. And then they've come in, they're going to go into production with an uh, 82% success rate, which is awesome. So, you know, let's keep an eye on this, but you know, hats off to ExxonMobil and to the, the country of Guyana for, for doing this. This is, this is really cool. All right. And last topic of the day, we've talked about this a little bit on the, uh, the last first Friday Q and a we did talking about the tariffs. So Trump's tariffs on steel and how it's affecting the U.S. oil and gas industry. So obviously it is taking a toll. You and I kind of talked at links about this. We can kind of recap what that conversation was. To provide a little context for the listeners, there is a 25% steel and a 10% aluminum tariff that the Trump administration has placed uh, on a variety of countries. If you don't know, we get almost 100% of our steel uh, that we use in the oil and gas industries from China. Here are some stats. ConocoPhillips reported that the price of steel used in pipes, valves, fittings, and other equipment have been 26% in the U.S. since the start of the year. The company plans to spend or spend $300 million a year on equipment affected by the tariffs, and tariffs will add $40 million to cost of the new pipelines it's building in the Permian in the West Texas alone. And then you and I talked about, like, like I mentioned on the first Friday Q&A, you know, obviously Colin and I being operators and how that affects us buying you know, tubing and stuff like that. Uh, it's a lot more expensive and there's nobody here in the U S that can spin up a manufacturing plant that could compete with the same quality that we need in the oil field. Obviously, you know, things have to be a certain quality. We can't skimp on that. And currently we just don't have the infrastructure for that. So like you and I were talking before, is this going to create a new, are entrepreneurs going to see the opportunity here to, to, I don't know, maybe revitalize the the steel industry here domestically, or are we just going to end up just keep paying the tariffs? Yeah. And you and I disagree on this, which is cool. I, and, and, and I've caught, I've got a lot of flack for this. So it's not just you and I, it's you and everybody else <laughs> disagree with me. And, and I don't have a crystal ball people. I mean, I'm, I'm wrong, you know, often, but I think the real key here is if these tariffs are going to stay. If they're going to stay through this administration and through future administrations, I think it's going to spur the growth of not only uh, steel manufacturing in the U.S., but precision tubular manufacturing, which, which, like Jake said, has just about disappeared from U.S. completely. If, however, this is just going to stay for this administration or for part of this administration or whatever, nobody's going to spend the money to gear up to be able to produce steel and high-quality tubular goods in the U.S. So, you know, I still think long-term-wise, this could be a benefit to our our industry in our country, you know, because once we stand it up internally, or if we stand up internally, now we have that market. And now because of the tariffs, our, our, the oil and gas industry can buy good American steel and tubular goods at the same price they were paying before without having to buy it from overseas. Uh, and I think that just, once again, drives jobs and prosperity. If, however, that doesn't happen, our industry as a whole does not need a 25% slap on the back, right? It's it's hard enough for us to make money now. Adding a 25% overhead that doesn't need to be there is is not a good thing. So in my mind, it's all about how long is this thing going to last? So we'll see. Yeah, it's it's there's there's so many different things at play. Yeah, I mean, you can talk to some of the world's great economists about certain things and how this will affect 
different industries and how it affects us here domestically. And everybody's going to give you different answers. So let's just keep an eye on it. You know, obviously things are booming in our industry. Things are probably better than they've been <laughs> in contextually speaking, way better than it was in 2014, 2015. So I guess we can't complain too much about the, uh, the tariffs. So hope you guys enjoyed they the, don't, they don't listen to us anyway, Jake. <laughs> like the, our, our political administration should call us, right? And ask our opinions on stuff. They don't. If you're listening from Washington, and here's the funny thing, Jake, I actually know for a fact that we have members in Congress that listen to the show because they've actually reached out to me. There, it looks like I may end up somewhere down the road testifying in front of Congress, which is crazy because of this podcast. But if, you know, if you're, if you're listening to us in Congress, if you're in, in the federal government and you need help, just call Jake now. We'll be ha- happy to talk to you through what makes the most sense. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, hope you enjoyed the stories for this week. Nothing too crazy, not a super long show. Sorry, like always, that we haven't been as regular as we need to be. We're extremely busy, but we're trying to get down to a more regular schedule. So we'll try to do better. Mark, are we still giving away Red Wing bags? What's uh, what's the rig count doing, Jake? Uh, We are at 1,134, so we're down 1%. Yep, that's a good number. And then let's talk a little about events on deck. We have our super super happy hour that has moved locations. We're now at the Canyon. Because of that move, because of other stuff, it's not going to be the last Tuesday of the month. It's going to be Tuesday, October 2nd. And then hopefully from there, we go back to our regular last Tuesday of the month. There's a link in the show notes. Go sign up. It sells out, people. And let me tell you what happens. All of OGGN, so me, Jake, Colin, Paige, Patrick, everybody, the day before the happy hour, we all of a sudden have a whole bunch of really good friends that reach out and say basically the same thing. Hey, we've got to sign up. Can you get us in? And we all have to answer no. (laughs) If you want to go, you have to sign up. So go sign up now before it gets sold out. And then that event and more, it's in our monthly email newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Sign up. We never spam you. We put all the oil and gas events in one place in your inbox once a month to make your life easier. And then Jake and I talk all over the place, right? We come to speak to universities and companies and organizations. Uh, if you'd like Jake and I to come talk to your organization, let us know. We love universities. We give uh, student organizations a 50% discount. And then if you're in sales and marketing, it's the last get toward the last quarter of the year. It's time for you to start planning your 2019 kickoff. Instead of having, you know, that comedian that really can't make any good jokes or the magician that bores everybody, why don't you bring Jake and I? Let us do a podcast from your sales and marketing event. Your people will love it. They'll learn something. And we're way more entertaining than some old clown, although we've both been <laughs> called clowns before. <laughs> and then uh, first Friday Q&A, you know the drill. Go to the website, onlygassesweek.com. Leave a question. If we use your question, uh, you'll get a big shout out. And Jake, the questions have been getting like really detailed and technical, which is great. Uh, you know, I just find it amazing that that people reach out to us and ask all the different types of advice and questions from us. I think it's cool how many people are interested in your path and the whole startup path in oil and gas. So uh, if you got an interest in any of that stuff, give us a question. We, we would love to uh, uh, talk about it on the air. And then join our LinkedIn group. Microsoft, I think, is making some improvements in LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's getting better. Just type in OGGN, go join. Uh, that's where you'll find out about everything second. If you want to find out first, when you're at the All and Gas This Week website, just give us your email address and we'll let you know. And I think that's about it. Jake, you ready to get out of here? Let's do it, man. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil and Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.